The show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Marcus Mann. Welcome back to the show, listeners all over the world. So happy to have you here. I am excited to be talking about one of my favorite new shows, the Netflix original series, The Dragon Prince, and with me, to take me on a sweet, sweet journey back to the lands of Zadia and Catullus are my good friends and fellow writers, Andrew Neal and Eric Carlson. Say hello to the people at home. Hello, 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 hi, hello, hi, you too, yeah, hi, hi, hi. You don't have to say hello to all of you them. Too. Oh. Just one He's... general greeting will suffice. Okay, well, we'll save a lot of time. Hi. <laughs> What's a what's a what's a cantaloupe and a zeta cube? Hey, no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you said? I'm not sure what you said. I, I think uh, I want you to just go off and write. Your prompt is cantaloupe and zeta cube, and the property is the dragon prince. I'm very yeah. excited now. Yeah, I, I I'm looking forward to hearing more about this one. I have heard a little about it in that all I, I've heard good buzz. I should say I know nothing about the thing itself. I've just heard good buzz about. That's this good. One. There there should be good buzz because this show is fantastic. It is the newest property by Aaron Ehas, who was the head writer on Avatar: The Last Airbender. So long-anticipated follow-up to that show. Although Aaron Long-anticipated has... follow-up to the M. Night Shyamalan film. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you're, you're fired. <laughs> Eric, you win. <laughs> All right. Follow-up to James Cameron's Avatar. Gotcha. See, that I'd be up for. Uh, not the follow-up to either of those things, and not a sequel series to either of those. Just the head writer... From Avatar, The Last Airbender, the animated series, Aaron Ehas created this show with Justin Richmond. And it has been in the works for a long time. And we're very oh. excited to finally have it. Uh, and it's really interesting. It's part of this new production company called Wonderstorm. Ooh. And they are like a joint game and TV production company. So they're ultimately going to be making a Dragon Prince world video game, which has been in production alongside the animated series. So super cool model. Uh, Justin Richmond was the co-director of Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. Uh, Oh, I like that. Yeah. So they've got some credentials, some bona fides. So do the same people that work on the television program, like, creative wise they're also the same creative team behind the game like yes. it's the same folks yes okay. so i think the idea is that it'll all be a big canon experience uh and i can tell you after watching this show i want to dive into that world so 
sign me up. I will be all over that game. Is there any anticipated launch date for the game? I don't think they've said anything yet, but I would expect late next year at the earliest, so late 2019, maybe okay. mid-2020, who knows. Uh, but the show has already been picked up for a second season. So All right. Yeah, so it'll be coming back, and I was eagerly anticipating that news after finishing this. I watched this the day it came out. I had a plane ride, so I just downloaded it all onto my Kindle Fire. And watched it wow, on what a plug. the aeroplane. <laughs> uh, Not a sponsor. Good. Not a sponsor. <laughs> now to go Buzz back marketing. to talking about this Netflix original series, which is also not a sponsor. Direct competition to Amazon. Here we go. Gotta, gotta balance it out. You, you know, know, if anyone wants a sponsor, we're easy. You don't have to pay us much. We will plug your show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they don't have to pay us anything. We're plugging so much already. Yeah, but we're officially not sponsored. We're not sponsored content. So you get our pure, unadulterated opinions. And my opinion is that I loved The Dragon Prince. Boom. I was a big uh, Avatar The Last Airbender fan. Really, really looking forward to this since it came up. They announced it, I think, at Comic-Con, and then it came out a few months later. So really fun stuff. Uh Interesting thing about the show before I dive into the actual pitch is it's it's computer animated. Okay. So you can do animation on a like you used to have to draw it out and then you would like put one frame after another, but now you can do that on a computer. What? Explain yeah. this to me more. So so have you seen a Toy Story? I've seen one or two. They the they didn't Toy draw Story? those. Those were in computers. I found this out. And this show was also in computers. I'm not sure if they're the same computers or different computers. I'm not sure how many computers can do animation. But this is what I found out on my computer. Was that this was computer animated. It is done in a cell shaded style. So that means that you've got 3D models that are made to look like flat artistic renderings. Um, yeah. But what's very interesting about this is that they decided to kind of render it at a hand-drawn animation pace. So you're getting maybe 12 frames per second. So even though you have oh, these that just, persistent That just saves models, so much money. That's, yeah. that's great. It's a business decision. <laughs> half the frames, half the cost. In old animation, yes. Uh, but it, it's a <laughs> polarizing art style. So I think everyone likes the design of the series, which I, I like myself. But the uh, frame rate was an interesting choice to try to blend new and traditional animation in that style. So I think the creators are aware of that and are considering new options for the second season. Interesting. I, I'm trying to picture how this would look if there's anything similar on the air that you could compare it to. Yeah, I mean, the new Star Wars show is also done with this sort of cel-shaded style, Star Wars Resistance, that just launched. Okay. But it doesn't have that staggered frame rate like the Dragon Prince does. Okay. Weird. Well, I, I'll just have to see for myself after I have written this sham fiction. Yeah, and the, you know, the reason I bring that up is because if we have Dragon Prince fans listening to the show, they want to know how I feel about the controversy, and I won't give you my opinion, but I will say I expect Andrew and Eric that you will write in 12 frames per second. I would, yeah. what, what would be the, the written equivalent of that? Oh, I know, I know. 
I will make sure to deliver my story at 12 words a second. I will speak very quickly. Wonderful. Holy crap. I, I, I'm in. <laughs> I was just hoping you would cut every other word. I was uh, thinking every other letter. <laughs> very rhythmic. It was good, yeah. It is the song of my people. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, gentlemen. I want to get into pitching this because obviously I got a lot of love for the show which means I'm probably going to run out of time on the pitch because I'll just dive too deep into my fandom. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, hold on a second. I just got a message from my agent. Ah, I just got sponsored by Hulu. I got to go, guys. Enjoy the oh, rest of the no! episode. So. See you later. Have fun. <laughs> He's gone. He has, he has left. What he is literally gone. He just hit himself on something as he left. I'm very confused by this bit. Are they just uh, paying him to just be Eric? You know what? I'm fine by this because that means default win for Andrew this week, <laughs> or default least lose because we never oh, wait, win. Guys, Even what guys, if it's just me? Guys, oh, shut damn, up! He's shut back. up! I'm back. Um, sorry, uh, a, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, I, I I just had to renew my subscription to Hulu. Oh, I see. It was very confusing. Okay. Anyway, I'm back. Should we do All this right. thing? I think we should do this thing. I'm really excited to jump in. Let's right, get let's our eight it. minutes on the clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. All right. This is the Dragon Prince. It takes place in a magical land that is not too dissimilar from medieval Europe, as most magical lands are. Ugh. Uh, the background of the show is that this entire continent, think like vast Pangaea-type continent, was once one land called Zadia, and it was a land of magic where elves and humans and dragons coexisted with all the magical creatures, and it was great. And the elves were all attuned to their own type of magic. There were six different types of magic that are all natural, based on primal elements. The sky, the stars, the ocean, the earth, the sun, and the moon. Not the Avatar elements. Very different. Entirely different show. <laughs> but the humans, sure. they got all jealous, right? They're like, ugh, how come you get all the magic and it's so hard for us to learn it and we're just humans? So they said, what if there was another super secret type of magic that we could gain magic instead of drawing from the elements from drawing on souls and killing things? Yeah. Oh yeah, super fun, humans. Humans humans for life. So they invented the seventh type of magic, dark magic, where Yay. you just literally suck the life out of magical creatures and then <laughs> use it to cast spells that are wildly powerful and evil. Uh, and then the elves and the dragons were like, hey, we're magical creatures. That's not cool. Stop killing us. So they went to big war, and the whole land got <laughs> split in half with this river of lava in between, like, the magical side and the human side and the five human kingdoms. And at the culmination of this war, the dragon king was killed by the human king of the land of Catullus. Uh, and they killed the dragon king's egg. Oh, Ooh, no. humans. Not cool, right? So uh, that was King Harrow was responsible for that. And so this takes place after that's all settled, right? Like we're kind of 
you know, at, at a standstill in terms of the war. And what we're doing is we're following the king's stepson, Calum, or Callum, and his son and the crown prince, Ezrin, along with a moonshadow elf assassin. Of course. On Wait. their adventures, right? Because... Wait, say, say that one more time. Oh, yeah. what, what, what is that thing? Moonshadow elf assassin. Okay, uh-huh. good. It, it begged repeating. Yep. The, the elf clans are all aligned to different uh, elements, right? So we know that there are sunfire elves. These are the moonshadow elves. Presumably, there are like ocean water elves. I don't know. Ocean tide. <laughs> Who could say? Earth ground? Don't know. They're a bit salty. Yeah. Uh, but this is a moonshadow elf. So we follow these three as they're going along uh, and going on an adventure what is their adventure well to get there we've got to take a step back remember when i told you that the dragon prince's egg was destroyed uh no because you told us that the dragon king's egg was no the dragon king well the 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 egg of the dragon king like his egg was the dragon prince's egg that the prince was wasting time wasting time man also how does a king lay an egg the queen the queen laid the egg but it Queen was for mating egg. with the dragon king. And then in the egg is the dragon prince. And gotcha. the, they said that we killed the egg. But wait, spoilers. <laughs> the, uh, the king's like super shady high mage, Viren, actually hid the egg away. Presumably to do some atomic bomb style dark magic if they ever uh, cross the river. Four minutes remaining. Whoa. What? So we enter the show where... A bunch of dark elves, or not dark elves, the uh, moonshadow elves, have been <laughs> sent to assassinate the king and the crown prince, right? Because the dragon king and the dragon prince had been killed. Uh, but when Rayla, who's a assassin who's like questioning whether or not she should actually be an assassin, finds Ezrin, the, the boy prince, and Callum, the slightly older boy prince, step... <laughs> Uh, so many, <laughs> so many things. So uh, many princes. <laughs> so many princes. princes. Uh, so when, when he when he, they find out that the egg is still there, she's like, "Oh, maybe we shouldn't be at war." Uh, but none of the adults want to call things off, so they're like, "We're just gonna take this egg back to the Dragon Queen and hopefully make peace because the whole conflict is based on a lie, right?" And that's, that's our adventure. So it's following the step prince and the crown prince with this moonshadow elf who's really a fish out of water traveling through the human lands trying to get back to Magic Town to give up this egg. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back to Magic Town? Is that what it's called? Magic Town? It's called Zadia. Zadia is the magic half. Uh, I'm going to call it Magic Town. Magic Town is fair. And the kingdom that the dragon prince... Or not the dragon prince. Why do I keep saying the dragon prince? That the... Uh, <laughs> The human king is in is the kingdom of Catullus. Oh yeah, this all makes sense. Oh yeah, it yeah. Makes, makes all sorts of sense. So uh, let's talk about characters really quick, right? Really. So you've quick. got uh, Calum or Callum, who is the uh, he's a fourteen. He's funny. He's kind of like an artist, not really sure of himself, uh, and he is a quick learner. And he steals a magic device called a primal stone. Usually, to do magic, you need to call upon an element. This, this primal mm. stone is just like an element in a box, so you can do the magic anywhere. And he steals a uh, sky Two primal stone. Remaining. Ooh, gosh, running out of time. Uh, so he, he, he watched someone cast a couple spells, and those are the only spells he can do. He can do a spell called Aspero that lets him blow some wind. 
and he can do a spell called Fulminus <laughs> that lets him shoot some lightning. And that's it, because he doesn't know magic. He just saw people do that once. And you cast the magic by, like, drawing a glyph in the air and then saying the word. Uh, so he's very protective of his younger half-brother, Ezrin, who is 10 years old and can maybe hear animals talk. IDK, man. Uh, <laughs> but he's very smart and capable for his age. Very sweet kid. He uh, has this little glow toad named Bait, <laughs> which is just like a weird toad thing the size of a dog. And it uh, spot it, changes colors based on its emotions, and can emit a super bright blast of light, which can disorient people. Uh-huh. Uh, Emotion toad. Yeah. One minute oh, remaining. Shoot. So they're joined by Rayla, who's the Moonshadow Elf. Uh, she was trained as an assassin, but she hesitated when she was doing her first kill and hasn't actually killed anyone. She is bound by her kin in an oath to kill the King Harrow and the Crown Prince Ezrin as recompense for these dragons being killed. Uh, she had two silver ribbons tied around each arm. When the king was killed, spoilers, that one fell off. Because Whoa. Ezrin has not been killed, it's going to get tighter and tighter until her hand falls off. And she's Ugh. got a couple of cool oh, blades that she fights with. Uh, so they're all on the run from the king's army and the high mage. There are lots more characters that I would love to tell you about because it's a big wow. fantasy thing. Uh, but that's that's the key to your adventure. They've got this giant glowing egg. It's giant, it's like you know, the size of a uh, like another dog, like an egg-sized dog, like uh, an egg-sized dog. That, <laughs> Wait a second. That it could, oh, could have a dragon. That's it. That's it. That's it. Time's up. Okay. I I nailed this pitch. An is egg. What I'm saying. The size of an egg-sized dog. I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that what it was okay i was confused because i thought it was a, a, an egg-sized dog which would be a very small dog compared to <laughs> well, depends, depends on the relative the size. size of the egg and the relative yeah. size of the dog <laughs> uh, well then that That's, was lovely that was fantastic that may have been the best pitch i've ever done it was uh -huh. it's, my, it's my citizen cane of pitches it was it was beautiful <laughs> Marcus's swan song. And just, just yep. like Citizen Kane, it's all about things that I didn't get to explain at all. Rosebud, what the hell is that? Dragon Prince, what does that mean? Cantal <laughs> Cantaloupe, is that a thing? Zane Apple, who knows? What's, what's the thing? And I don't know Z any of these Zeta, Zeta Cube? I'm pretty sure it's Zeta Cube. Yep, Zeta Cube. Starts with a Z. <laughs> Starts with a Z. Oh, boy. Well, the good news is you get two minutes to ask questions. And you could probably yeah. coax a lot more out of me. I was going to say, only two minutes. My yep. goodness. I don't know. I, I, the previous eight minutes are a big question mark for me. I'm, I'm still figuring this out. Went by in a flash. All right. Well, I will let you process a little bit more, Andrew, and we'll start the questioning with Mr. Carlson. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's do it. Two-minute Q&A. Begin. Okay. So... This dragon prince. Yep. It's not so much a dragon prince as it is a big friggin' egg. Yeah, it's a big glowy egg. But the it's dragon big... the dragon prince is still in the egg, hasn't hatched yet, but it's still alive. How do we know it's still alive? Maybe Ezrin can hear it. Who knows? Oh, IDK, okay. man. Okay. So, okay, you got these two child human princes. Yeah. Carrying around this big honking egg. Yep. 
Uh, and the elf lady is just like there, just like hanging out and not killing the prince, or like she's yeah, she's chasing... trying to help him. No, no, she's okay. trying to help him because they're trying to all get it back to Magic Town. Exactly. I got you. Exactly. 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 So these dragons, yeah, they're just they're like allies to the elves. Yeah. Or do the, do they like? lord over the elves you know we don't really know i think they're kind of like the king and queen of all the magic creatures because they're the biggest strongest biggest magiciest yeah things and they they talk they like talk like people unclear we haven't actually seen we don't know we we haven't seen them i mean we've we've seen like pictures but they haven't appeared in the story in this show yeah called the dragon prince we see 30 seconds no, remaining. No dragon prince, and in fact, no dragon at all. Is that what you're telling me? Well, we see the dragon in the credits and in the backstory. Uh, uh, and maybe uh, the prince gets hatched. Me. Who knows? Who knows? Who's Who knows? to say? Who's to maybe say? in my version, uh, that is exactly what will happen. Could be. Could be. Do they breathe fire? Are they just standard dragons? Yeah, Describe I think they're them. pretty dragony. They're just pretty dragony. Okay, uh, the elves—they're are they like Tolkienian? Time's up. Oh, oh. I'll never know. All right. Well, you, you come back after Andrew's Q and A because I've got one more bit I need to share with both of you. Oh, what? That sounds like cheating. It is cheating, or is it using dark magic? Ah! Uh, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go away, and you're gonna do the stuff. All right, uh, Andrew, come Andrew. on back. I told Eric that he's going to have to come back after your Q&A because I have one more thing I need to share with both of you. And I'll use my dark magic powers to make it happen even outside of the pitch. Do you realize the amount of dark magic it'll take to give us more of a pitch after you've already given your pitch? Yeah. I had to kill like five glow toads. Oh no! So much death! It was very dark. Do they bleed in different colors? Does it come from their blood? Or wait a second, let's get this two minutes on the clock and they'll ask that question. <laughs> two minute Q&A, begin. All right, so that, that that won't be a question that I ask about the blood and the toad. Fair, fair. Um, But I do want to know, so are the dragons all gone? There are no more dragons in this world? No, there's some dragons. Like the dragon queen's still out there and there are probably other dragons. Okay, but none of these characters you described to us are dragons none of those characters are dragons that's okay i described a few humans and one elf okay and they have the egg that is has a prince in it it would be the prince yes okay are they trying to hatch the egg is that important to them uh similar to what eric asked but presumably they want to allow it to be hatched at some point okay now where are they are they in the human world are they in the magic magic town yeah they're they're in the human world the, the kingdom of catalyst where king harrow reigned until he was assassinated uh so that's the elf rayla is very much this fish out of water and she's trying to get back to the magic land with these two human boys okay okay uh how violent is this show you say they kill people it- you know, it can get violent. Uh, it's not overly gory, but you've got war and conflict and assassinations. Yeah. Uh, mostly happening off screen. But yeah, there's, there's real fighting. Okay, okay. And, I was, and uh, we have the assassin, I'd imagine, is an okay fighter. 30 seconds remaining. Um, 
Yes, she's a fantastic cook. Okay, okay. Um, what else? What other magical creatures are there in this world? Like, the only intelligent ones are really the dragons and the elves, but any kind of thing. Like, just weird monstery type things you can think of. Spirits and the like. Ooh, there's even spirits and ghosts. Yeah, like, like think of magic creatures. Yeah, yeah. More than, like, magic entities. Time's games. up. Okay, okay. Like, fantastic beasts. But I don't know where to find those. Hey, 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 <laughs> guys, guys. The time's up. All right. I came back as requested. What's going on? Thank you. So I totally messed up and not mentioning like four fan favorite characters, but I will hold by that. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, because they're all great. So everyone's a fan favorite. I'm sorry to my fellow Dragon Prince fans. We'll make them up. Just wait for the two Just jackets. Just give us some Dragon names. Prince. We'll make them up. I could give you names, but yeah, then... seriously. Names. Okay, names. I, I'll take that. All right. Viren's two children. Uh, his... No, 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 no. Why are you telling us who yeah, they are? Yeah, don't tell us who they are. Names only. Okay. Just names. Oh, God. This is going to be Names only. Uh, Soren. Whoa. The Deceiver? S- nope. No, Soren. Oh, okay. S-O-R-E-N. Not Sauron. <laughs> uh, Claudia. Amea. The Deceiver? Amea <laughs> uh, and Gren. Okay. Okay. Oh god, I feel so bad that I didn't get to those characters. I love all of them so much. They're uh, going to be the only characters in my piece. <laughs> oh, please no. <laughs> uh, you're walking into a minefield you don't even know about. But I needed to tell you one thing. Okay. This is why I used my dark magic to bring you back here. God, oh, okay. the veins in your uh, neck are just pulsing from the magic you're yeah. using right now. Rayla. There's so much. Rayla. Oh. Rayla, the elf. Rayla. Yep. Yeah. She sounds just like Merida from Brave. Oh, so she's super Scottish? <laughs> like super Scottish? She's super Scottish. <laughs> is it, this, oh, is it, is it Kelly McDonald? Thank you for is that. It the same person? It is not, okay. but it's just the best thing in the world. And I like, if you got to your stories and you weren't giving me a full Scottish elf, <laughs> I would have been furious. Like this whole podcast <laughs> would be useless. Some will say it's useless because I didn't explain who Amea is. Which I agree, but it would have been more useless if you didn't come back with your best merit of voice. Oh my goodness. Uh, that was worth that's that fantastic. was worth killing all those glow toads for. Oh, those poor glow toads. <laughs> uh, uh, I got their technicolor blood all over me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Alright. Well, out into the world with you. Go weave me a tale of magic. I'm off to Magic Town. Hello, Sham Nation! We hope you're enjoying the show. While the guys are off writing, I wanted to get real with you in a way that only a recorded ad can get real. If you like our show, please hop on your favorite iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us get the word out there to more people. If you love the show and want to help us produce it, hop on coffee.com slash shamfiction. That's ko-fi.com slash shamfiction. And send us some money, love. If not, we won't tell anyone. Thanks for your support. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email. Contact at shamfiction.com. Twitter.com slash shamfiction. Instagram is a shamfiction thing. I think it's Instagram.com slash shamfiction. You get the idea. We want to hear from you. Now back to the show. 
And we are back from perhaps the greatest, most thorough pitch of my sham fiction career. Perfect way to end my season of pitches with the Dragon Prince. I have to tell you, listeners, I love this show. I really do. I love those characters, especially that one you're really mad that I didn't pitch properly. I love the story. I love the art. I just got too excited. My mouth had some sort of too much talk in it. Those are great words for explaining, explaining, explaining this. I, I just, I get so, I get so aflutter a every time I talk about the Dragon Prince. You're nailing this apology as well as you nailed that pitch, my friend. You know, aces. aces. That's what we're going for. Let's bring back our hopefully more eloquent writers, Andrew and Eric. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, good me. Good you. Oh no, Thank it's you. rubbing off. Thanks for coming down to my level. Uh, of, uh, of course. <laughs> anything you, for Marcus. <laughs> Did you have a good time out in Zadia? Zadia? I thought we were in Zumacroom. <laughs> uh, good, good point, good point. Or, or Catullus. Or uh, Catalonia. It's close. <laughs> uh, the Catalina wine mixer. That was in there. <laughs> wonderful uh all right well i can't wait to hear your stories here uh so i think we need to jump right into it let's do it put a little wind in our sails cast a little aspero huh Uh, i don't remember what that does let's kick it off with andrew neil hey give me your dragon prince oh you mean an impression Impression of the uh, Dragon Prince? Yes, please. You want to hear it? And here, let's do, do it. Do recall. Okay, here do we recall. go. Here's, oh, my okay, impression. I hear Here's my impression of the Dragon Prince. Let's hear it. Oh. <laughs> hey, I'm the future king. Because hey. <laughs> he's in that an egg. Spot on. He's in an egg. This. That was great. And for those of you who aren't Eric and I being able to see Andrew, it's a very selective audience who can see Andrew. Uh, he did indeed put his hands over his face to make the impression of being in an egg. It was very good commitment to that bit. Ah, uh, you Thank know, you. I, uh, I like, I like, you know, some body work, you know, yeah. in my things. Anyway. Yeah, your improv's really coming along, Andrew. Thanks. Spot on. Have, Spot on. have had two seasons to work on it. And I, I will remember... Uh, we'll remind you of the black magic I cast, the dark magic, before the break. Ooh, super that allowed me to tell you additional information, i.e. that Rayla sounds just like Merida from Brave. Oh, I, I am don't perfectly forget. aware, and I'm going to be honest, when I started to write dialogue for her, spoiler alert, I was like, god damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Failure so, to do the voice will result in instant disqualification. We'll see how this goes. Oh, man. Uh, Take it away. I enjoyed writing this. I wrote, uh, just spoiler alert again, I wrote way too much. Uh, But (laughs) I didn't didn't feel like cutting it, so we'll see how this goes. Okay, this is Andrew Neal's rendition of The Dragon Prince. Callum struggled to hold the shape of the glyph in his mind. The crooked, ghostly branches reaching through the dark before him interrupted the lines trying to take shape. The moon was less than a half that night, but the twisted arms of the trees appeared clearly to him as he fought to focus his senses on the new spell. A cry broke Callum's fragile concentration. He whipped to his left to see his little brother's delicate frame dive to the ground a few meters away. 
quick black shapes cut through the air between them. Ezrin! he called, but the cry didn't seem to carry. It was overwhelmed by a cacophony that saturated the night. <laughs> there was no rhythm nor any musicality to their song. Crows had no such consideration for beauty. Callum could sense only rage in them. Callum! Duck! <laughs> Callum obliged the order immediately, dropping to his knees and protecting his face. A sudden blast of air tousled his curly hair. If Rayla hadn't warned him, the diving crow would have struck him in the chest, or, more likely, in the throat. When he lowered his arms, Callum saw Rayla standing over Ezrin, who lay curled up and trembling on the ground. Callum himself felt himself shaking, and his face flushed. The sensation grew as he looked at his brother and thought of the boy's careless action that had led to all this. Moonlight flashed as Rayla swung a polished blade, connecting the broadside with an attacking crow, batting it back into the night. As a moonshadow elf, Rayla didn't have to concentrate to see in the dark. This ability had served their party well even before this. Callum! she cried. You have to summon the wind! Callum shook his head. No, I'm going to try something new. You've been trying. It isn't working. <laughs> Callum resented this. He knew he could make the new spell work with a little time to concentrate. Aspero, the wind summoning spell, could help with that, but... What about lightning instead? Don't you dare! We must not kill any of these creatures! <laughs> But they're trying to kill us. They are creatures of the moon. I will not shed their blood, nor will I let you. <laughs> Rayla spun and batted two more crows away. This time, when the broad side of her blade connected, it created a rattling sound. What was that? Callum asked. Rayla flashed furious yellow eyes in his direction. Wind now! <laughs> Callum better, knew better than to protest an angry elf assassin. Also, that strange <laughs> rattling hadn't stopped. It became an arrhythmic percussion to the crow's hellish song, growing closer and closer, vibrating the air around him. He saw nothing, but Callum sensed the distinct ripple amongst the growing vibrations. Something was fast approaching. Callum! Rayla cried. Callum's next moves were instinctual. Although under attack and engulfed by distractions, he focused. The lines of the glyph became immediately clear. He traced them effortlessly, using three fingers on each hand, and was somehow aware not to lift a single one off the phantom plane. He drew in light, which seemed to run from, his, from within his fingers like ink escaping a quill. He worked calmly. There was a familiarity to the shape of the glyph that filled his mind and body with warmth. He saw the shape, he knew it, and he loved it. He pictured it as purple velvet billowing in the wind. Then the fear and anger of his present washed over him, lending their power as Callum completed the lines and lifted his fingers from the phantom plane. Then he whispered, Aspero. The wind came, forcefully. Knowing its master's wishes without a word, its roar drowned out the crows surrounding Callum, Ezrin, and Rayla, but hardly affecting them. Though if they had taken a step in any direction, it would have swept them off their feet and thrown them into a tree. 
Soon the wind's current and roar grew more and more distant as it carried the crows away. Their furious sounds were replaced by the familiar sounds of the night. How long do you think that'll give us? Callum asked. A minute? Maybe two? Rayla responded. She didn't sheathe her blades. That's it? Callum threw <laughs> up his arms. Why'd I even bother? I needed a break. Take your brother. Hide underneath the cart. I'll keep them at bay. Callum stormed over to Rayla. What? Until morning? Rayla, you won't make it. You'll summon the wind when I need another break. That's ridiculous. I won't be able to keep that up either. Callum was already feeling fatigued after one spell. You don't? We don't have another option. Rayla shouted, getting up in Callum's face. He glared back, but it was no match. Rayla's striking eyes cut him down every time, but he could sense the fear beyond her conviction. I'm sorry, said a small voice. Ezrin was sitting up, hugging his knees to his chest, trying to make himself as small as possible. He was already quite small for his age. The boy stifled a few sobs. I was just trying to help. Rayla's expression softened. She crouched down beside the boy and spoke firmly but assuringly. You didn't know. You must never disturb a fallen crow. I didn't know it was... That it was... Ezrin couldn't say it. Crows are suspicious creatures, Ray Rayla continued. If you see, if they see you near their dead, they'll believe you're responsible, and they'll remember your face long after. So, they'll never leave us alone? Ezrin asked, tightening his grip across his knees. They will once we leave their territory, which we will once the sun is up. Rayla abruptly stood and looked towards the sky. A moment later, Callum heard the strange rattling again. What is that sound? he asked. The armor of their warriors, Rayla answered, stretching her arms and brandishing her weapons. They fashion it from the bones of the carrion they eat. It's sharpened, almost like blades, and they wear it on their wings. <laughs> Callum peered into the sky, straining his eyes, wishing he could see the approaching threat. Callum, Rayla began, you need to take Ezrin and hide. Callum could hear the rattling growing closer, no other sound accompanying it this time. He felt the hair across his body stand up. I heard them earlier, you know, Ezrin murmured. Callum could see the boy shivering. They only want me, he said. If you... Well, leave. No. Callum cut his brother off. He felt so uncertain about many things in that moment, but one thing was certain. Leaving his brother to these crows was not an option. We have ten seconds, Rayla said. Under the cart, now. Callum pulled Ezrin to his feet. Together they ran to the cart, which held all of their belongings, as well as their hidden cargo. Callum helped Ezrin underneath the cart and hesitated. Cal? Ezrin asked. Callum looked into the boy's eyes and smiled. It's okay, little brother. I have to do something. Ezrin said something in protest, but Callum ignored it. He turned away from his brother, toward the pitch-black sky, a blank slate, and tried to focus. He started with what he knew. He held Aspero, the wind spell, in his mind. The lines of the glyph faded into existence before him. With three fingers extended on each hand, he began to trace upon the phantom plane. 
he became, he became aware of a confidence ignited inside of him. It surprised him, but it did not interrupt his work. Why was he so confident now when only moments ago he was so uncertain? His fingers seemed to work as if controlled by an outside force. He was hardly even conscious of the movement. The action was so familiar, like reciting the alphabet or getting dressed in the morning. No thought went into it. But there was something deeper. Not a thought, a feeling. It too seemed familiar. The glyph was taking shape in strokes of light, and his whole body began to tingle, like when he used to look upon his father sometimes and have that out-of-body experience, like he suddenly realized for the first time just how much love this man had for him, how much time, worry, sleeplessness, pride, grace, and care this man had put into raising him. In those surreal moments, Callum could truly see that this one person out of all the people in the entire world was his father. He completed tracing Aspero, but did not lift his fingers from the plane. The glyph blazed brightly before him. It was a stunning, impossible thing, which so easily hid the deeper truth beyond. Callum had only glimpsed that truth before, but now he saw it in full. Purple velvet, billowing in the wind, a cape upon the shoulders of a man standing on a parapet against a blue sky, spotted with white clouds. His father. And then Callum understood. He lifted his fingers. As he did, Aspero faded, and he caught a glimpse of the reality beyond himself. A descending net of black feathers and razor-sharp bone, rattling as powerful wings pumped up and down. Callum allowed the fear to enter his mind and body. He needed the anxiety, the lack of hope, so that he could fill it. As a crow warrior only meters away opened its beak and screamed, Callum fell back into focus. The phantom plane appeared, but no shape appeared to trace. Callum peered beyond it into himself and tried to recall the sun. Something came. A memory of a morning a few months back. It was one of the first days of their journey to Zadia, and he was inside his and Ezrin's tent. He had just woken up and noticed Ezrin was gone. His first reaction was pure panic. He took a deep, sudden breath and held it in his chest. He flew forward and pushed open the canvas in front of the tent in a flurry. But what he saw beyond put him at ease almost immediately. He exhaled. Over the edge of the grassy cliffs and past leagues and leagues of ocean, the orange sun was rising. It grew from a sliver to a half-circle as he watched. Between it and Callum, a small figure appeared running through the grass. Ezrin. The boy was trying to keep up with the seagulls that flew overhead, laughing as they squawked. This wasn't the first time Callum had recalled this scene. It was the moment he realized he and his brother were going to be all right, no matter what dangers the world threw at them. The love he had for his brother, and his brother for him, would protect them. The phantom plane appeared, and Callum got to work without hesitation. He began tracing with two fingers on his left and one on his right. He traced the cliff's edge, the waves on the horizon, the gulls in the air, and, finally, the now perfect circle of the sun. When he completed the lines, he lifted his fingers from the plane and whispered, Solarum. That's when the sun appeared in the night sky. 
It cast blinding yellow light down through the barrage of attacking crows. Calm looked up in wonder at the sight. It was like some nightmarish mural on a cathedral ceiling. Hundreds of black silhouettes, wings, feathers, and talons splayed, seemed to hang in the air. The space between them took on the shape of stars, through which shafts of light shone down, becoming the cathedral's ghostly columns. The scene only lasted a second or two. The crows dispersed, fleeing into the dark past the reach of the midnight sun. Callum took a deep breath, in and out. He looked over at Rayla, whose eyes had lost their ferocity. She held them, and her mouth wide open, completely stunned. Callum turned around and held out his hand below the base of the cart. A smaller hand took it. Callum pulled his little brother up to his feet and into an embrace, and he held him there for a while. The end. Ow! Ooh. Wow. My heart. That was a pretty good, uh, pretty good Rayla. Gotta say, impressed. Spot on. Oh, hey, thanks. Uh, yeah. I was, I was like, is this Irish? Is this Australian? <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. It's all good. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank I you. Enjoyed that story immensely, and I'm looking forward to enjoying this next story even equally immensely. <laughs> Don't want to the show words, bias. The words uh, are are good <laughs> that you have right. today. I I will invite you, Mr. Carlson, to take us to the next story. Bring us back on our quest to Zadia. All right, sounds good. Three plucky heroes and an egg that may or may not have featured in that last story at all. All right, (laughs) take it away. All right, we'll do Eric Carlson's Dragon Prince. Rayla held the limp silver ribbon in her hands, wondering for the thousandth time what had happened to the king that she had failed to kill. No sooner had she and the two princelings escaped the capital with the dragon egg in hand than the bond on her right arm slackened and fell off. The implication was clear. Someone or something had done what she could not, though it pained her to be left in the dark as to how. The sharp teeth of shame bit down on Rayla's mind, and she scolded herself for her cowardice. She had been relieved when the magic that bound her oath had been dispelled. The weight of assassinating the man had been lifted, after all. But then the truth of her failures crashed down on her head all the same. On top of that, she still hadn't mustered the courage to tell the children that their father was surely dead. Rayla! Calum, the elder prince, shouted from below. The elf peered over the ledge to see the boy waving at her from the base of the signal rock. Any luck? Are your friends responding? Rayla smiled at this. It was a bit of a stretch to describe the Earthseed elves as friends, but (laughs) how would a sheltered human prince know that? She glanced up at her signal the shimmering image of a gigantic sword hovering in the air with its point aimed at the towering boulder on which she stood. It was an illusion of her own creation, designed to be visible only from the elven side of the rift, and the one that she and the Earthseed clan had agreed upon. With a shrug, she turned back to the boy. No, not yet, Caleb, but they will, she shouted, forcing herself to sound more confident than she felt. She stashed the loose ribbon into her satchel and added, Where's your brother? Despite the fact that he stood some fifty spans below her, it seemed to Rayla that Calum's face betrayed a bit of resentment as he said, He's talking to it. 
She nodded and glanced back towards the small, open-topped wagon that had been their primary means of transport for the last three days. Inside, she could just barely see the faint glow of the egg, pulsing slowly with the heartbeats of the royal dragon child inside, the hand of the young crown prince resting serenely on its surface. You don't trust him, do you? she asked. Ezrin? Of course I do. He's my brother. One day he'll be my king, he said defensively. No, calm yourself, child. The dragon prince. You don't trust him. Oh. <laughs> he paused and looked away. I'm not sure. It's a dragon. A worm. Rayla ignored the slur and sighed, reaching into her satchel, produced a long length of rope, and threw one end down to Calum. Climb, she said. In a few moments, she had hauled the princeling up to the top of the signal rock. Calum stood there, staring wide-eyed into the fiery gulf a thousand spans below, his right hand gripping the stunted trunk of a tree that had stubbornly grown through the cracks in the rock. Have you ever seen the rift before? she asked. He shook his head. Terrible, isn't it? It's amazing, he replied, awestruck. Amazing was one word for it. The rift was an impassable divide, an imposing, treacherous crevasse that split the continent in two, separating the warring nations of Catullus and Zadia from one another like a massive river of fire. Along this dramatic, lava-filled border stood only three crossings, drawbridges that spanned the gulf and connected the elf world to the human, and the human armies held every one. Luckily for Rayla and her companions, however, there was a secret way known only to the elves. Is this where you came across? The boy asked, turning away from the fire to look into her eyes. Aye. Has a human ever crossed this way? He added, a tone of fear in his voice. No. You and your brother are the only ones who even know it exists. He paused for a moment, then said, Will they kill him? She blinked and frowned. They? Who is they? Your people. Will they kill him? He repeated. Rayla stared at Calum for a long moment, studying the tense furrow of his brow and the stubborn jut of his jaw. Once again, she found herself surprised by the grit and determination exhibited by these human children. If Calum hadn't been there to throw himself in front of Rayla's unsteady blade, then Ezrin might be dead, and Calum might be king. If Ezrin hadn't urged Calum to trust her despite her oaths and her blades, then Rayla herself might be dead at the hands of the palace guards. Despite being raised by a monstrous heretic like Harrow the Dragon Slayer, these young princelings had displayed wisdom and maturity that betrayed their small years. Rayla? the prince asked. He had turned to her, letting go of the tree. His eyes were focused on her left arm. She followed the gaze and realized that she had unwittingly placed her right hand on the bruised and swollen flesh where the second silver ribbon had begun cutting painfully into her. So she lifted the arm and held it out between herself and Calum, giving him a better view. This ribbon is bound to the life of your brother, Calum. It is my oath made manifest and the price I'm paying for my failure. Your failure? he asked, eyes wide as he inspected her purpled skin. To kill him. 
to end one prince in payment of another. Caleb's gaze shot up to Rayla's eyes, and a spasm of anger flashed across his mouth. But the egg is still whole. The dragon prince lives. There is no debt. Yes, Rayla agreed calmly, slowly lowering her arm. But my people don't know that. Will you help me convince them? He took a, a half-step back, towards the chasm, confusion and shock drawn on the surface of his face. What if they don't listen? What if they kill him just because he's the crown prince? My father killed their king, your king. They sent you, after all. They want revenge. Rayla shook her head and sighed. The time for truth, it seemed, had finally arrived. No, Calum, she said firmly, reaching into her satchel and pulling out the other silver ribbon. The king debt has already been paid. What? What does that mean? He asked, glancing first to the ribbon, then back to Rayla. I don't know how it happened, she began. He's dead? Calum spat, putting the pieces together and taking another step away from Rayla, dangerously close to the edge of the signal rock and the fiery rift beyond. She tried to calm him, saying, Please, someone else must have... You killed him? He shouted, You killed my father? Rayla took a step forward with a placating hand held out to him. Caleb, please, I don't know how... But he wasn't listening. It doesn't matter what you know, he yelled, backing away even further. You or your elf friends or some damned worm did this. My... But then he was falling, tripping on a tangled root at the edge of the rock, tumbling backwards into the open air. Caleb! Rayla shouted, lunging forward to catch the front of his tunic, but her fingers merely brushed the fine cloth and tightened on air. He plummeted as they both screamed. And then he stopped. Rayla leaned out over the edge, terrified, expecting to see the boy careening off the jagged walls of the canyon or engulfed in fire and lava. Instead, she found him sprawled on his back just a few feet from her supported by a woven basket of fresh green and leafy vines. <laughs> what? Was all he managed to say. <laughs> Jutting forth from dozens of cracks and crevasses in the side of the signal rock, a writhing mass of bright green roots had burst forth and formed the platform that held him. In moments, the roots twisted and thickened, growing and hardening into woody tree limbs, raising Calum upwards as the vines continued to grow out and away from the rock projecting freely over the lava flow a thousand spans below. Then a matching growth, originating from the opposite bank, reached forth and met the first halfway across, forming a living bridge that spanned the entire width of the rift. Calum's face held twin expressions of fear and awe as the vines thickened, tensed, and then solidified, leaving him sprawled out atop a freshly formed wooden roadway. Rayla couldn't help but laugh, both due to the look on Caleb's face and her own relief. Stop laughing! He shot at her with a red face. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't my fault! Then Ezrin's small voice rang out from below. Brother, where are you? He said. Both Caleb and Rayla leaned out to the side to see the young crown prince standing near the edge of the rift, glowing dragon egg held in both arms staring up at the bridge that had materialized out of thin air. I'm here! Calum shouted back as he struggled first to his knees, 
than his feed. I I'm all right, Ezrin. I heard shouting. Rayla jumped in before Calum could reply. Your brother's just excited is all. You see, he's the first human being ever to step foot on the Earthseed Bridge. Oh, said the young prince, <laughs> then. So, does that mean those guys are elves? Calum turned, following Ezrin's gaze out towards the far side of the span. There, clearly visible in the glow of the lava far below, stood three tall, pointy-eared and armored figures, beckoning for them to cross. That's right, young princeling, replied Rayla. Earthseed elves, like me, but their fingernails are far filthier. <laughs> she then lowered her voice and spoke to the other prince. I'm sorry, Calum, she said, drawing his attention back to her. For your father, I mean. I will do whatever I can to make it up to you, I promise. The look of distrust on Calum's face was almost as painful as the ribbon that bound her arm. But after a moment, he nodded. Your prince and... and my new king are waiting below. Let's get them across. Rayla smiled and said, Aye. The end. Oh, all right. Well, thank you. Oh, of I really course. appreciate those two stories. <laughs> uh, I think I strayed into Irish a couple of times too. <laughs> uh, was brilliant. It was great. I was impressed. <sighs> oh gosh, guys, those were two of my favorite stories this year. Uh, so I can tell you right now, I haven't decided who has lost less, <laughs> but uh, you both did a fantastic job. So enjoy that before I, I break one of your spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love this property, and I gotta say, seeing your two versions of it just got me more excited. I just want to watch it again and again and again, and oh. I can't wait for you to watch it so we can discuss it. I'm uh, probably gonna start later today. Oh God, you're, if you start, you'll finish. It's like nine episodes, and you'll just <laughs> just go through it. The thing I did not do is in the credits they have like sketches. So I was so into it, I, I skipped the credits the first time through. Like the yeah, Netflix kind of does that automatically unless it you turn it off. It does automatically. Uh, but the credits of the Dragon Prince have sketches that tell things about the world and about future stories. Oh. So there's some interesting mythology there that I might have to check out on my rewatch. You know, it's funny they do that on a Netflix original series, considering that they're very aware that Netflix like automatically skips credits. Yeah they know interesting it's kind of like uh, when they had the joe McHale show with joe McHale that unfortunately got canceled oh. uh, they had a credit song that was making fun of nobody watches the credits on a netflix show uh, <laughs> that's fantastic that, that was there it's very good that was joel McHale's one mistake yep. shouldn't have done that that's why he got got fired there you go <laughs> in the job uh-huh uh all right guys i need to hear more about these stories before <sighs> we really dive into it so eric i'll give you and your your accent's a little bit of a break. Oh, thank you. And I'll move over to Andrew. Uh, how long was your story? It's about 2,000 words. It's the longest wow. story that Ooh. I've written for this season at the very least. Definitely just for this season. I remember last season we did much longer, including I think you wrote the longest sham fic that was not a multiple choice in your Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so 
Tell me about the challenge, the biggest challenge that you faced when you were writing this. Yeah, uh, the challenge more so came from the assignment that I gave to myself in writing this more so than the pitch that you gave, because the pitch that you gave had so many meaty elements that we could dive off. Uh, it was from. flawless and succinct, my pitch. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was more so that it just left it left so many gaps that you had to fill. <laughs> you know, there's just these. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, there was just a lot of promise, you know, in in there. Um, and I think one of the hardest things was deciding not to tell a story from the perspective of the awesome elf assassin. But <laughs> I, because uh, I, I was like, man, there's no way we're we're gonna have two stories that are from that character's point of view because of course we are. But <laughs> I, I, I fell upon this idea of I wanted to the assignment that I gave myself is that I wanted to explode a moment. I wanted to take a very small amount of time and blow it up sure. as big as I could, and that seemed to me what more attracted to me was the idea of spell casting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, rather than do the cool elf, I'm going to do the kid that casts the spells and try to explode a moment where he is trying to figure out what it is that makes these spells work and apply it to a new one and the thought process behind that. So that's, that's where I went with it. But that was hard to do because that felt like a climactic moment. And so I felt that I had to build up to it. And that's where I'm looking forward to hearing from the both of you, because it just, of course, the story blew up, even though I wanted it to be a short moment extended. Mm-hmm. I realized I was like, man, I it was really hard for me to get I had to get into that. I had to work up to that. Uh, I was struggling to just dive right into that. So I'm curious to hear how the piece as a whole worked for you. Sure. That's a good question. I'm happy to circle back to that and get some more insight from Eric on that as well, because it was very, very interesting the way that you took this. Uh, and just, just for my not not saying this is going to factor into the judgment at all. Uh, was the egg mentioned at all in your story? Yeah, it's it was. The, it's the hidden cargo. I mentioned that they have hidden cargo in the cart. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that counts. Thank you. Thank you, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an implied word, word egg. Wise. Yeah. Implied egg. <laughs> used to play bass for implied egg. That's the <laughs> <laughs> oh, that well is done. the Rift Tracks joke I'm stealing from uh, Mike Nelson in the Rift Tracks game. Well executed. I love that. Yep, thank you. Uh, Eric, same question to you. What was the greatest challenge in your piece? And also, how long was your piece? My piece was also lengthy. It was uh, 1,700 words. Just, okay. just a bit over 1,700. So like 200 longer than we normally shoot for. Um, but challenge for me was I, I realized when I was writing this that I never asked a very important question. I mean, I always ask. I always fail to ask important questions in the Q&A <laughs> segment that I regret later on. Um, but I, I never got to ask you about the tone of the Dragon Prince. Yeah. Like it's an animated and I got, you know, you have young characters. So it's like I'm assuming it's made for a young audience. But it's also because you love it so much, I assume there's like plenty to dig into. You know, there's plenty of adult themes and serious drama happening. Um, But I didn't know what the balance was between like humor and like fun versus like deep drama. So I was struggling 
with how much humor to try to inject. Um, when I wrote this originally, there was like nothing that was funny at all. It was all deadly serious. And I went back through and I added a couple lines that I thought would be kind of funny, but nothing mm -hmm. like really jokey and like cartoony. Um, so that's, I guess that's, that's a question for you. Like, like what is the tone or what's the balance that this show strikes? Yeah, I, I'd say it's, uh, very similar in tone to Avatar, the last airbender, of course. Okay. So uh, more their later seasons where it does have a serious bent to it, but there's a good amount of humor in every episode. But what was so interesting to me about your story is you hit upon maybe my favorite bit in the series. Like that's a big dramatic moment is the dual reveals of your father is dead and I've had this information and I haven't wanted to share it. Ooh. And I'm going to lose my arm because I'm not killing your brother. Like those, yeah. that's, that's a huge moment. It plays out not too dissimilarly from how you played it here. Okay. Which was, was very impressive. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously you went further in their journey than the first book of the dragon prince goes, you know, not, not surprised. anywhere close to the, the, the river of lava. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but that, that's interesting because that is super serious, right? That's, that is a very dark concept. Uh, mm. And it's very beautiful in the show. She's like, you know, losing my arm is a small price to pay for your brother's life. And it's very, very sweet. Um, but man, I just can't wait to watch the show again. I have to declare a victor. Yes, you in do. In this contest. That's how that it works. That is the rule. That is the rule of this whole thing i can't just you know keep vamping forever yeah, i can see you tallying up the scores in your yeah head that's right what it now. is like one check for eric one check for andrew well and you lose 500 points for every word over 1500 that you go <gasps> oh boy so you guys have lost a lot of points uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's get the winner out of the way i think we all know who that is the fabulous duo of Aaron E. Haas and Justin Richmond have won. <laughs> uh, Shocker, I know. Yeah. But they did a hell of a job writing The Dragon Prince. It's so pretty, good. It's, it's, it's funny. That I couldn't get an eight-minute pitch together that made any sense. Yet you two <laughs> were still able to write excellent and pretty accurate renditions of The Dragon Prince. So, the least loser today. The one of you who didn't suck quite as much <laughs> in comparison to the amazing Aaron Ehas and Justin Richmond is Andrew Neal. Oh, oh hey. Ah. It, was, it was so close. <laughs> Those were some good Scottish reaction things <laughs> what do you even call that what is that what were you doing it's just, you know it's one of those ox one of those ah oh, it's like yeah. Kathy yeah like <laughs> it's like Kathy like hit comic strip Kathy oh man this is everyone's favorite cool young Kathy. audience yep <laughs> all right everybody uh thank like you like I said wow. well these done. were two of my favorite stories this year uh and Part of that's because I love the property, but also you two have done a great job of really diving into this. And I think the writing quality has increased as the year has gone on. Uh, 
Andrew's story, I will say, is much less accurate to the source material than Eric's. Uh, it sounds like it. It sounds like Eric really hit it. <laughs> Eric really did hit it. But the the reason I gave you the edge is I was just transfixed learning about the crows. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, you really transported me into this. And it was just desperate for me to learn all of this. It felt like a real world <laughs> and a real culture there. I'm just such a sucker for that, that I really got brought into it. And when I was deciding, I was like, you know, the, I think uh, the pacing doesn't work out quite as well as it could. And yeah. part of that's, it's a drafting thing. And we'll talk about that. Uh, but as far as drawing me into something that um, I'm going to sit with for a bit longer and also finishing the story that you set off with, you've got a much clearer arc to your story. So I really ended up favoring those items for selecting you this week. So congratulations. Thank you, uh, sir. The least loseriness. Very uh, kind. Well played, Mr. Neal. Mr. Carlson, for the slightly more losery. Uh, uh-huh. Very close. <laughs> very close. <laughs> uh, I really, I, I loved your story. And like I said, you hit that moment so accurately to the show that it just blew my mind. Uh and maybe that even worked against you because I was like, oh, I saw that episode. <laughs> Which is totally not the way this should go. So, you know, that's, that's on me. Uh, but I, I think what was more difficult for me with your piece was it was less active. It was more just a pensive moment in front of the crossing mm-hmm. uh, where you set up the notion at the beginning of okay, maybe there is a challenge of I've got to contact the Earthseed Elves, and we're from Raidless' perspective. But then she doesn't do anything to make that happen. So it's yeah. very much just a, a scene where you're waiting. And then what's the actual interesting conflict is between Rayla and Callum. And that's kind of embedded within this broader frame story. I, I just didn't quite get the connection between them as closely as I would like. Sure. Uh, it wasn't as clear to me what Rayla wanted out of this scenario. Gotcha. So that's, that's where, from the story perspective, we lost a, a few points. Mm-hmm. I would say your story is more consistent um, in tone, which is interesting that you said that you had that uh, comedy added afterwards, because I, I thought you hit the, the tone quite well there. Great. So, like I said, no one should feel bad about losing this week. You both did excellently, and I can't wait to talk a little bit more about your stories. So, uh, Andrew, tell me about uh, tell me about the process a little bit more. You set up this challenge. You had so many elements. We didn't really talk about the egg. Your magic system was very different from uh, the system that we see in the show, which is totally cool and fine. Um, mostly that you need a source for the magic. You you again developed a magic system that I thought was really interesting. That was something that. I have not really seen. It sounded a little Sanderson-y, which is always enjoyable. So lay it on me. Yeah. um, I don't know. I just, you mentioned that the spells are like these glyphs that appear in the air, right? Yeah. Um, And so, I don't know. I, I wanted to tie that to something personal. And I wanted the character not to quite know that yet. So that was the journey that I saw was that 
this is a guy, and you had mentioned that he can only do these two spells, the wind one and the lightning <laughs> one, and he just does them, you know, like he doesn't even think about it. He just does them. He can do them. But he doesn't know how to do any of the other ones. And I was like, okay, so why is that? Like, why can't he do that? Well, okay, so he doesn't know really technically or anything about like what he's doing while he's doing it so that's why i saw this as like the perfect opportunity to kind of explode that moment because to to expand upon it in detail in a very limited time you know take a limited amount of time and expand it um because i wanted him to kind of be working through that realization but i didn't want it to be i wanted to, to strike a balance of it being technical but personal at the same time. And I that personal element to it, having it be tied to a personal experience and having that mm-hmm. be what makes the magic work was just something I hit on, and I just absolutely loved it because nice. I don't like technical magic mumbo-jumbo. I always get really <laughs> bored by stuff like that, so I, uh, I wanted it to be personal and have an emotional element. Yeah, cool. That's great. It's funny, um, the Marcus, the way you described how that magic works, it did sound very technical. It's very straightforward. It's like, okay, if you're a human and you want to do magic, you have to use the stone or whatever to power it. Mm-hmm. And you do the glyph in the air and you say the word and that's it. And you just, it's like, you, it's stuff that you have to know. You have to have the stone and then you have to know the glyphs and the words <laughs> to make it work. It's all just kind yeah. of, just going through it really basic. Um, but Andrew... <laughs> You're laughing. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I completely forgot about the stone. I yep, okay. completely forgot about that. <laughs> oh, no, that's Continue. perfect. Um, well, no, it's great because um, when you started digging into how the magic worked and, and the, the descriptions of drawing these glyphs in the air with his fingers, you describe like light escaping his fingertips, like ink from a quill and stuff like that. Just it drew me in like, yeah from the beginning like um i know you were you were trying to explode this moment and i think it's set up so beautifully when you start with this wind spell and you do go into detail and that moment is slowed down for us and we see how these works and you see that images are coming to his mind he's not really sure why we get that but you know they're very concrete details like fluttering velvet the purple velvet or whatever it's like that's so specific that as a a reader we hear that, we see that, um, and we latch onto that. So that when a little bit later, when he has this moment where he's really diving in and that like that image of the purple velvet velvet expands and we see that it's the cape of his, you know, of his father standing there, um, you know, and it, it's attached to these memories, we really feel that. We like it's it's such like a gratifying, strangely gratifying moment to kind of like hear these details to to be able to i guess start you're looking through like a keyhole at a very small thing and to be able to go through the keyhole and expand it and see it all is amazing and um and that tells us everything we need to know about how the magic is connected to memory and then the memory of the sun the rising sun and the image of his brother and the cliff and all that stuff that whole moment it's so good it's so beautiful it's yeah i I loved it so much thank you i'm really glad that that worked it was it was so descriptive and just warm like i really got a sense of being there so really enjoyed that 
Thank you. No, I'm really pleased that this affected that it, it worked. So, thank now, you. Have you have you read Elantris by Sanderson? No, I have not. Did you read that, Eric? Uh, I no, actually, I I read like a chapter, and that's about as far as I got. Fair. <laughs> so Elantris uh, is his first published work. I think it was a sixth novel that he wrote overall, and it is also based on like a glyph magic system Mm. and there's a fun mystery because the magic stopped working and we don't know why Mm. and uh that through line in the book is awesome and frankly the other two character plots are not as interesting to me there's a priest and there's a princess uh and they just don't don't do it for me but the guy who wakes up and becomes a zombie because the magic is done instead of becoming an awesome immortal (laughs) being uh that's a really cool story it's like a city of zombies and uh you get into the glyph magic and i I, uh just saw some of that some shades of that in andrew's story that i really enjoyed so some shades more of that oh there we go Oh, Sanderson oh, drop, baby! Sanderson reference. Boom! <laughs> I know he's a he's a big non-listener of the show. Uh, <laughs> he's been not listening for over two years now. It's very dedicated, so, uh... <laughs> dedicated non-listener. I like that. Uh, uh, I want to talk good. a bit about Eric's story. Um, I do too. Go so, for it. No. So I I'll, I <laughs> I want to start with saying that what I loved about this, and I want to hear about what drew you to it. Eric, is that I thought this was a, a brilliant, brilliantly executed dramatic scene. Yes. Um, and I want to know why you were drawn to a dramatic scene like this where it's just two people talking and not something that's more magic-y and fantasy and all that. Yeah. Uh, Even I though there think... were plenty of those elements, but they felt ancillary to yeah, the no, center they were like... conceit. They were, uh, they were scene setting, you know, yeah, they, weren't, like the they weren't integral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's because when, usually when I work on these stories, um, I'm starting with characters, at least in this case I was where, you know, I, I wrote down what I know about the characters and then I started kind of diving into it. Okay. What is this person's motivations? Where do they come from? What do they think? How are they, you know, what are the conflicts that they have within them? Um, what are the possible conflicts that are, you know, uh, between them um and i i landed on this concept that the information um that rayla had that the king was dead um if if that was withheld you know if these characters that like they're not necessarily going to know these two human characters aren't going to know that what these silver ribbons are on her arm unless she tells them Mm-hmm. So if if they never had that scene, say in the madness of escaping the city that I assumed happened at the towards the beginning of the story, um, then it's going to be information that she has simply not shared, and and that is that is a big one. And I could imagine from Rayla's point of view that okay, if I didn't tell these kids that their father was dead, like immediately, if I if I missed that moment and did not relay that information. When the hell is a good time to tell somebody that? Yeah. Like, oh, it's just, yeah. it would, it, like, I could imagine somebody, like, holding on to that for an excruciatingly long time because they don't know how to say it. And that, yeah. just that, is what made me write this. Wonderful. Um, I just, I loved that concept. And so I just explored it with a 
simple little scene. And I love is, that. It is so accurate. Good. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Because she doesn't say it, and it's yeah. just weighing on her. Well, and it wasn't and... something that you had mentioned either. Like, you said that the ribbon fell off, like, as if he died. But, like, for all we know, the, the kids saw their father die. You know, I was just, I was just making that assumption yeah. that they didn't see it. Now, you made the right assumption. And he, the uh, beautiful thing in the uh, TV show that I think you touched on here is just you're losing trust. You've been working so hard. You are the enemy. You're literally an assassin come to kill a child and his father. Mm-hmm. And now you're unlikely alliance and trying to build a friendship. And then how do you bring back the truth of that? That, hey, my kin killed your father and yeah. I a trained assassin am in pain constantly going to lose my arm because I'm not killing your brother. Yeah. It's intense. Uh, hard to gain trust back after that. Right. Uh, so I, I'm so excited to see how they did it in the real show. That's, yeah. that's so cool. Oh no. It was, it was spot on. Yeah. I mean, you just dramatized it so well. The, the emotions like Marcus says just felt so sincere and strong and they were communicated well in your story um it escalated really well and you know you just as you describe callum you know getting closer and closer to the edge it's like the physical danger matches the emotional build of the arguments and i don't know that was just really really well executed um and just hearing your intention behind it that you know this it's because that was a question that I have, and it kind of Marcus hit on it as a as a as a criticism, and I and I and I share it that I was like, why is this happening now? Why is this mm-hmm. the moment that it's happening? Mm-hmm. And your intention that it, you know, hey, it's this thing just happens, you know, it's just like it just came out. I still think because this is a standalone piece, the fact that there wasn't any lead up to it hurt the overall your your overall intention that didn't quite come across okay but again one once we got there and we fell into the scene i was i was hooked and it worked gotcha okay fair and in the show i think they handle some of that by increasing the jeopardy that they're in because of this strain on rayla's wrist right like she's not able to defend them in the same way yeah and it becomes more pivotal that they have this communication point she keeps dropping the egg. Oh, God. <laughs> I'd imagine that it's a pretty hard egg. Like the what about egg? second breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> They're getting hungry. Are they going to eat that egg? <laughs> That's oh. book two, omelets. <laughs> oh, no. I love um, it. I, I do have a question. This is a tiny, tiny detail. But, Eric, did you make up Earthseed elves, or was that something that you got in your q and I made it up. Okay, cool. It Good worked really answer. well. Yeah, I really dug that. Yeah, that was. Do, do we know what they're actually called? Detail. What we the, don't know what, what they're the called yet. Ground. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe I'm right. Yeah, could I be. I could still be right. Aaron Ehas uh, could be listening right now, taking some notes. <laughs> hey, Aaron. You did a good job, buddy. <laughs> you won, so don't listen to us. <laughs> Yeah, you already write really well. What do you need to learn from these <laughs> knuckleheads? Yep. All right. Well, guys, any last words on these stories? I really love them, but I think it's time to go back and watch The Dragon Prince on Netflix, along with our listeners. Listeners, you should have already listened or watched it before listening to this, but watch it again. 
watch it a few more dozen times. Get get some uh, bait plushies from the website. Yeah, hey, why not? none of you guys had bait. You all lose. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, God damn. He was he uh, was hiding in the cart. <laughs> yeah. I like that we both had carts in our story or wagons. Yeah, yeah. We it's had wagons. Egg. You said you that go. it was a dog-sized egg. <laughs> it was an egg the size of a dog. Oh, that's right. Wait. Wait. Uh, Egg-sized egg. Egg the size of a dog. An egg that could hold a dog. Yep. Dog. Could, like carry a dog. Or dog. Uh, car- okay. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> Tricky. No, no bait. Very sad. Yep. Bait would have uh, blasted those crows away, I guess. Hey, yeah, you Good don't need magic that. when you got a glow toad. Yep, just glow it up. <laughs> glow uh, it up. Uh, <laughs> I, anyway, I Andrew, you did good. Yes, you did good. This was a fun. This was a fun one, Marcus. This was enjoyable. I liked writing. Yes, it was. Yes, same to you. Same to you, Mister Carlson. I really enjoyed your story, and all of this has me itching for some dragon princeing. Oh, man. Uh, Just call me right when you're done. I'm so excited. Uh, So, listeners, we have two more episodes in the regulation season coming up for you. Regulation. Yeah. (laughs) So, very excited for you to hear those last two episodes as we ponder the future of sham fiction. If you have some ideas, reach out to us. Contact at shamfiction.com. If you have some money, reach out to us. Coffee.com slash shamfiction. If you have money and ideas, then you're a producer. Good job. Reach out to us. Contact at <laughs> uh, we, we enjoy having you. We enjoy making the show. We will be doing more, but two more episodes in the regulation season. Where Ooh, we that's, going to overtime. that's like four more weeks. Like four more weeks. So please enjoy. Remember, no matter where you are in your life, you can't beat the dredge. They are pure energy. And that's it here for Marcus. Marcus Mann at shamfiction.com. Dot com. I was waiting right. for something. Okay. Yeah. Shamfiction.net. Sham. As <laughs> you get the two. Just those two. Two jackets.com slash shamfiction, I guess. I'm here at all of them. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the words served you well, Marcus. Good night, I did everybody. Such a good job this week. Good night and good luck. Welcome your new host, not Marcus Mann, <laughs> in the next episode of Sham Fiction. Can't wait to meet them. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. We're getting close to the end of the season, folks. Two more regular episodes left. The harsh cold of winter is almost upon us. The days are getting shorter, and the nights are getting longer. Seems like the perfect time for fear. Yep. For the next two episodes, our sham writers will do their best to warm you up with some spooky, scary scream fix. First up, we're packing our best overpriced camping gear and taking you to the wilds of northern Sweden. Lovely country. Forests, fjords, hills. Rills? Sure. But you know what else it's got? Nightmare-inducing fear beasts. Yeah, those! Next time, Marcus and Andrew will be sham-writing the Netflix original film, The Ritual. Until then, stay toasty.
This has been a Two Jackets production.